0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, episode number 63. My friends, I have a very special episode for you today, one that I have been looking forward to for quite some time. Today, I sat down with Sarah Kleiner, aka the Carnivore Yogi. I've been wanting to have her on my podcast for quite some time now. So Sarah is a certified nutrition coach. She's a yoga teacher and she is obviously a carnivore. So she follows a completely animal-based diet. Um, I had a really awesome chat with her today and she kind of dives into, you know, what has led her to pursuing carnivore, why it has worked for her. Um, and she's also the host of the Carnivore Yogi podcast. So she also has an awesome podcast. And she was sharing with me that she has a lot of doctors come on, a lot of people in the health and the wellness space that kind of, uh, destigmatize the notions that surround the carnivore diet and also share a lot of information and insight. And it was really awesome talking to her. We had such a great chat covering so many different topics. Obviously, the carnivore diet. So if you're listening to this, if that's something that you're interested in, kind of her experience with that why that worked for her, listening to your body. We also get into regenerative agriculture, which is really fascinating, the kind of misconceptions that surround the carnivore diet, especially when it comes to the environmental impact, which was really interesting. And she also opens up about her sobriety journey, which is fascinating to me. I had no idea that she was also someone that uh, is sober, so that was really cool to hear. So she shared a little bit about that and how that connects with sugar and food addictions in general. And it was just this whole slew of awesome conversation and awesome, you know, talking points and different kinds of things. And it was so great hearing her perspective. And Sarah is so awesome because. She's one of those people that isn't preachy about her um, nutrition and her idea of what works for her. You know, she's very open about the fact that, that this is what has worked for her, but it's not something that's one size fits all. So if you are someone that's kind of curious just to learn more about the carnivore diet in general and you're kind of curious how that works, what that means, what you're allowed to eat on that, you know, listen to this episode, I learned so much about this. And I also learned so much about metabolic flexibility and how the body responds to certain things. So if this sounds like something you are interested in, my friends, you know what to do by now. Go ahead and stay tuned. All right. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast. Today, I am joined with Sarah Kleiner, a.k.a. Carnivore Yogi. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. I know it's been a while trying to schedule us to finally get together, but I am so happy uh, that we're finally doing this.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. So there's so much that I want to cover today. And and just to give my listeners a little bit of a background, I stumbled across you because I was specifically looking for people who followed a carnivore diet um, that were women. Because I feel like a lot of the people that I yeah. know that follow carnivore are men. And it's always like men eating meat, like, you know, that kind of thing. So even carnivore yogi, your name kind of stood out to me as something that like you wouldn't really expect. Because normally when you think of yogis, you think of vegans and vegetarians. So I'm super interested to hear, you know, your story and I guess a great place to start would be your background. Have you always been you know, interested in fitness and health or was that something that kind of came later for you?
1: Um, it definitely came later. My daughter, she'll be 14 in December. Um, she was diagnosed with autism when she was really young. She was like 16 months and that was what pushed me into yoga because I left my corporate job. I left everything that I was used to to basically be full-time home with her and I was you know really broken hearted that she had gotten the autism diagnosis and it was just really tough she cried all the time kind of around mm. the clock crying and I went from like you know corporate life busy successful making my own money doing whatever I wanted to home with like a screaming child that like no therapist or doctor really knew what to do with she was just kind of different even with autism diagnosis so I was super stressed and I was like, let me try yoga because I've heard it can be helpful (laughs) for stress. And I started going, I would drop her off. I I did have someone that would watch her for a couple hours while I could just go do yoga. And so I would drop her off and go do yoga. And I was like hooked and it became my thing. I mean, I would go six, seven days a week and I just fell in love with it because it helped me just finally relaxed. It was just a really stressful, horrible time in my life and it helped me reconnect with myself and my body and breathing and just like life again. I felt human just in that hour I was there and so I loved it so much that I decided I wanted to get certified and I wanted to start teaching and it was pretty much the only job I could really do being like stay-at-home mom full-time. You know, you don't you can teach a class here and there and you don't have to make it like a full-time thing. So that's kind of what my goal was. And so I started, I went and got certified to teach yoga. And in that process started, you know, doing a vegan diet because I thought that that was what I was supposed to do as a yogi, as a yoga teacher. I wanted to like be legit. I wanted to do the real deal. Um, And I was able to keep that up for a couple of years, about two and a half years and then I started doing some advanced uh training with my one of my teachers. And I was doing like a five-day long advanced pranium training, which is like breathing, um, learning yeah. th- these advanced techniques. And I was just really sick looking at the time. Mm. And my teacher was just like, Look, I know what you're trying to do with the whole vegan yoga teacher thing, but you're not looking good. Like I was very, very thin. I was probably about 30 pounds thinner than I am right now. Um, yeah, I was really skinny and my hair had started falling out. I started getting cavities. I was getting like injuries in both my shoulders. They would kind of rotate and they would never get better. I would do body work. I would do massage. I would do chiropractic. I would do needling everything. And I just couldn't get rid of these injuries. And he was like, you know, non-violence, non-harming, we call it ahimsa in yoga, it starts with you. It starts with, that's like the principal rule of the yogi is the non-harming, the non-violence begins within you as a person. Because if you're sick and you're doing violence and harming to yourself, you can't be of service in the world. Um, you can't serve your students, you can't serve your family, you can't serve anyone, your community And so he basically that weekend in my advanced yoga training weekend, you know, he was, he just encouraged me to start eating animal foods again. Um, So that's how I left veganism. But I have been teaching yoga for a little over a decade now. Wow. And um, yeah, and it just became like a huge, huge part of my life. Um, You know, it was supposed to just be a part time gig. But then my daughter started going to school and we started getting more help with her and you know, before the pandemic, it was like, I was all around town, multiple classes a day, private clients, like, um so legit, like a lot, a lot of teaching, a lot of practicing. Um, so yeah, that's basically how I got into yoga. I, ha- I love lifting weights as well. I've worked at a lot of different gyms and been able to kind of trade services with a lot of trainers over the years. So I'm a big believer in resistance training. And I love that. Also, it took me yeah also a lot of yoga injuries to realize that I needed to balance out all the yoga with some strength as well. So I'm very passionate about movement in general. Um, And yeah, I I love physical fitness.
0: Yeah, well, I totally relate to that, especially with the stress outlet part of it, because I'm someone that I had a corporate job for a very brief period of time. But The gym was like my little, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Like I would be rushing home to go to the gym. And it was just like that was my hour to myself to just like unwind and to release stress. So I don't do yoga, but I can so see how for so many people that's something that's such an amazing stress outlet because it's such a powerful way to connect with your body and and how you're feeling mentally and physically. So I totally get where you're coming from um with uh that being a stress outlet. And I think it's an awesome healthy stress outlet too. We'll get into more of that um like a little bit later on in our discussion discussion. But um, something interesting that I think you were touching on is the idea of harm with um, with the yoga practice. So you'd think of it from an outside perspective of, okay, well, a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet is the least harmful diet. Right. To the environment and to animals. But here you were harming yourself. And it's like you really can't help the world if you can't help yourself. So I actually think that it's it's kind of interesting to hear your perspective, at least, because normally we think of of the carnivore diet being so stigmatized as being terrible for the environment and and also not good for your body and um so it's it's awesome to kind of hear you saying how that was the thing that um sort of saved you so i'm kind of curious i know you've spoken about too because i was looking at some of your stuff about how you view carnivore as just an elimination diet so Mm -hmm. what was it that clicked for you that you were like okay this this is the thing for me like did you try a bunch of different eliminations was that kind of just like after your instructor had told you to do that that was the thing you went with like what was that journey like
1: So that happened in like 2014 that I quit vegan. (laughs) Okay. So I tried a lot of things like my daughter, because of her autism, we're very careful with her diet and she's been paleo basically for for years and years now. So we were paleo, um, back before it was like super popular and then, you know, so we've been doing like just eat real food around here for a long time. But I started having, um, a lot of issues with my digestive system, a lot of eczema and I know a lot of it was related to stress and just you know raising a special needs child and working full time and a you know pretty physical job and so I just started having a lot of issues with my body kind of behaving again of saying stop pull back and so I had gone all the way to autoimmune paleo and I was still having a lot of bloating a lot of gas eczema I was still suffering with on and off depression and I just um a friend of mine who's a functional medicine doctor it was like the end of 2018 and she said um you know i could take you in as a patient we could do blood work and we could do all this stuff to kind of get to the bottom with what's what's up with you with all the pain you're having um but why don't you just try carnivore instead and i was like that's the craziest thing i've ever heard like that's completely stupid no way But I was at a point where I couldn't practice yoga the way I wanted to. It was really impacting my ability to teach and be physical. Um, So I was kind of like fine. And I was on the couch half the time because my bloating and gas was so bad. I would like keep my husband up. And I was like, I just, Mm -hmm. I'll do anything. So I started it in the beginning of 2019 and I was only gonna do it for 30 days. Uh, but by the end of the 30 days, like all my problems had really resolved and I felt so freaking good that I was like, I'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I just kept going with it. And then I kind of created my social media page as a joke. I always tell people, like, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to, like, become this figure or whatever, I just created it as a joke because I wanted to connect with more people doing carnivore, more people doing that type of a lifestyle. So I created the page carnivore yogi, just like, haha, funny. Um, And then people started following me. And then just in a few months, I had like 10,000 followers and I was like, whoa, okay, I guess people are resonating with what I'm putting out there. And so now here I am like three years later and I have a podcast and YouTube and, The page and it's like my new full time gig is basically doing what I do, which is pretty cool.
0: It's amazing how how everything can kind of lead you to that point too. like every struggle you had, every bump in the road led you down this path. And now you're so successful with what you're doing, which I think is awesome. And something else that I was thinking about as you were talking is you know, sometimes on paper or people that we look up to will tell us what's right for us. Like when you entered the yoga space, it sounded like, you know, it was kind of this subconscious thing of like, okay, I'm a yogi now. I'm supposed to be vegetarian. I'm supposed to be vegan because that's the right thing to do. But I think we discredit the power that comes from just listening to our bodies and just not even needing someone to tell you what to do aside from just like listening to yourself. Like you knew that something wasn't resonating for you. You knew deep down, like that ain't it. You know, that vegan wasn't working out. Even paleo wasn't working out. And That takes such a level of self-awareness to understand your body on that level to know that something isn't working for you, even though it might seem like it's the right thing to do. Like you said, carnivore seemed like the craziest thing that you could possibly do, but that was the thing for you. So I think it's so important, you know, for anyone listening to this, too, like especially women, there's no one size fits all when it comes to nutrition and stuff. So it's like. I also love how you are very open about, like, this is what worked for me. Like, I've looked at your stuff and nothing seems preachy. Nothing seems like this is what you should be doing. It's like, this is what's worked for me. And this has been my experience. And I think that resonates with people in and of itself, too. Yeah,
1: definitely. I don't, I mean, I don't claim to know what's best for everybody because I've talked with so many people and connected with so many people over the last three years that I can't give like a, one size fits all like this is definitely going to work for you type of thing because carnivore doesn't work for everybody. And um, yeah, people sometimes have to experiment a little bit to find what's going to be optimal for their body.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What would you say was the biggest improvement that you saw within yourself? I know you said you had eczema and and stuff like that. Like once you really started getting into the groove of carnivore, what was the biggest sort of internal change um, that you felt?
1: I mean, just overall inflammation, because every issue I was having was based on inflammation, like depression, anxiety, inflammation, um, bloating, wow. gas, IBS, inflammation, um, eczema, also some kind of a gut dysbiosis and some inflammation. And so, yeah, all my inflammation just went way down. And um, that was the biggest benefit into just feeling clear headed and uh, calm. And yeah.
0: Wow. I think it's fascinating too, because I feel like in our society now, you know, people reach for something outside of themselves if something's not working right. So it's like, it's just kind of expected oh, yeah. that if you're bloated, like take something that's over the counter. Right. If you're this, like find something for that. But it's like, what if you were to do the inverse? What if you were to eliminate something? That's how I found out I had a gluten sensitivity. I had, this is going to be TMI, but I would be like constipated for days at a time. I had yeah. terrible acid reflux and and just this slew of horrible symptoms and it wasn't until I eliminated that kind of like you did for 30 days. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, and and it was just that intuitive knowing of like, this isn't working for me. And all of those symptoms um, went away. And I've been gluten free for just about like three years now. So it's like nah. little things like that where the old, you know, way of being would be like, oh, let me go reach for some like anti heartburn, you know, whatever at the at the CVS or something like that. But it's like we have so much power just within ourselves to heal our own bodies through, you know, listening to how things feel and how they respond. So I think that it's really interesting hearing your story of how like, all of those symptoms kind of manifested and then they slowly started to strip away by eliminating rather than like this notion that something else needs to come in to counteract whatever we're doing, you know?
1: Yeah, I had tried so many things. I mean, I had tried to do probiotics, I had tried to do kombucha and fermented foods, and that just made everything worse. I had tried... My GI GI doctor said I needed more fiber, I needed to take fiber supplements, and that made everything 10 times worse. So I had already like, gone down the path pretty thoroughly of adding things. So I was just at that point where I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I've already tried to take everything externally. So I might as well just eliminate and see what happens. And it it was very helpful.
0: Yeah. So this might be a silly question. But what, what do you eat on a typical day? Cause I know that carnivore is only animal products, right? Do you ever have moments where you have something that's not an animal product or is it like very strict?
1: Yeah, I'm a lot more loose now. I was super strict carnivore for a little over two years and beginning of this year, I decided I wanted to kind of test it out and be like, Hey, is my gut actually healed? Is it actually in a good place? Let me try slowly adding in some foods and just see how I react. And Um, the cool thing is I really didn't have bad reactions to a lot of the foods that used to really cause me trouble. Um, but I started, so that started in like January, February and right around May, I was like, I just don't feel as mentally clear as typical. And, um, I just want to go back to carnivore. So I went back to strict carnivore for probably a couple months and now I'm probably more keto. I don't really call myself super carnivore anymore, but I do aim for ketosis at least six days a week. Um, mostly what, like I just ate before we got on here and I had a couple tablespoons of cream cheese, raw egg yolks, and some smoked salmon. So that's a fully carnivore meal. Um, most of my meals are still carnivore. And if I have a little something that's not, it's like I've cooked you know, Brussels sprouts or something for my family. And maybe I just want a bite of that. Um, So, but you know how people are with like, oh, don't say you're carnivore if you have a bite of whatever. Um, So that's why I'm like, eh, I don't need the label, but I mean, I'm pretty much
0: still
1: just,
0: yeah. You're like 98% there, it sounds like. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but I did some experimenting this year and I do take myself out of ketosis one day per week on purpose now. Um, So I do have some carbohydrates one day a week um, and that doesn't bother me at all. And I'm back in ketosis easily the next day, which is something new. I didn't do that up until just a a few months ago and it's working really well.
0: Yeah. What kind of carbs do you have? Is it like fruit or more refined? Um,
1: It's more simple sugars. Like I'll make homemade ice cream. Um, Yeah, I do just like simple sugars and I'll have some blueberries if I want blueberries, but yeah, I'm not like, if I want a piece of like gluten-free pizza, I'll have a piece of gluten-free pizza. You know, like yeah. I don't really subscribe to any kind of like diet on that day. I'm just mm-hmm. like, if I, you know, just want to bring myself out for a little bit so I can go back in and just have metabolic flexibility.
0: Yeah. I think but that's I, a great point. Sorry yeah, to cut you off. <laughs> a long
1: time to do that. Cause I, you know, when I, I don't really talk about that so much because People don't really understand nuance, you know, and I really trained my body to be good at ketosis and I trained my body to be able to, to do this kind of switching back and forth things. So what I don't want people to do is like try to do ketosis and then, um, you know, a weekend say I'm going to be metabolically flexible because it doesn't work that way. You have to give your body some time to really keto adapt before you can start playing around and like building that flexibility uh, muscle.
0: Yeah, I think with any change that you make, it takes a while for the body to adapt, even with like, certain sensitivities. Like, I think for people who have celiacs, like it takes months for for the gluten to, you know, in essence, fully be out of your system to like, reset. Um, even if you feel, you know, the benefits of it, like two weeks into it. So it does take time. I think it's awesome that you took the time to almost, it sounds like reset your body in that way so that now you have the flexibility in your life to be like, okay, one day a week, I'm not going to feel guilty for wanting to have a piece of this or enjoy this meal with my family. Like, I think it's so important, you know, to have that flexibility and and to allow yourself that space to be able to enjoy it. But now you've trained your body to a place where it's like you're not going to feel like shit for a few days after that. Yeah. Like now your body is understanding, um, you know, that rhythm a little bit more. So you have the flexibility to be able to do that. And it sounds like it takes a lot of patience uh, to get yeah. there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, is there any like is there any time you've ever had like a cheat meal on your carnivore diet where you've gone back to like fully refined carbs or have you noticed because I've, I've spoken to some other people that have, you know, done similar things and they've said that their cravings for, you know, typical like fast food or really super refined carbs like fries and donuts. It's like the longer you're in it, the more you don't even um, crave those things anymore. So have you noticed that cravings have gone down?
1: oh yeah, no, I don't crave that stuff at all. It's not even appealing to me to think of a donut or any, it's just not appealing at all to me to think of that type of thing. And if I do go, you know, my one day a week, I try to still stay like gluten-free. I'm not celiac, but I just know my body does have an inflammatory response to gluten. So yeah, that kind of stuff's just not really appealing to me at all. Um, and that that was another great thing about carnivore is that I never really, I always had sugar cravings. I always had food cravings growing up um, and just like my whole life. And so that's a great thing about carnivore and just eating a high fat diet in general is like you are pretty satisfied and you're not seeking out um, the sugar, the sweets, the cakes and that type of thing
0: yeah it is i've even noticed with myself i mean i'm not carnivore but i've noticed that the less i have junk food though it's like i I don't even want it like if i'm really good with my eating but then if i have like a cheat meal or something the next few days i'm like "Mm, you know i could really go for like this or that um so it's like the the longer you go without it it sounds you know kind of crazy to hear but it's like the longer you go without something the less you crave it and um I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit because I did see something that's um, super interesting about you that I relate to a lot. So, kind of going off of the tangent of sugar, I know that you said you kind of struggled with food addiction mm-hmm. and with alcohol as well. So, I'm actually almost two years sober now, and I awesome. out- quitting alcohol was like the best decision I ever made. So, um, kind of coincides with the sugar cravings because it's like once you have the alcohol out of the equation, it's like sugar, you know, tends to fill that gap. So. I'm just, if you're open to it, I'd, I'd kind of like to hear your journey of like what led you to ultimately, um, if you, do you drink now at all yeah. or was
1: no, no, yeah. uh-uh. um, cause it almost took my life. I mean, I was yeah. very seriously affected by alcoholism. Um, you know, when my daughter got diagnosed, I totally fell off the, t- I was always kind of a problem drinker. Like the girl at the party who people were like, Oh, watch her. Like probably no, you know, like yeah. I would always make my friends nervous and like, not every time we would drink would be bad. Sometimes we'd have like the best night ever. It'd be a blast. But then I would I would, I would be the one that would kind of like go dark, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was like I was, was having bad drinking experiences from day one, from the first time I ever drank. But when my daughter got diagnosed, I immediately kind of turned to alcohol to deal with my feelings because I couldn't deal with my feelings. So the yoga was probably why I didn't die from alcoholism. Um, It's, it kept me afloat and it gave me an outlet, but I still was abusing alcohol. And I went into recovery when she was pretty young the first time. And I went four years without a drink. So I did use Alcoholics Anonymous and that was the only thing that allowed me to get four years under my belt. And then I was like, I don't want to do this AA thing anymore because, you know, like, I just didn't want to go anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it was an effort. And I didn't like this. My husband didn't like the stigma of it. And, you know, I don't agree with everything in the program. We could get into that. But I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm fine. Now I've had four years without alcohol. And within a few months, I didn't have my support system around me my people that I knew in meetings, my sober friends, and I just was going through a hard time and thought, I could have I can have a glass of wine and it's going to be just fine like I can handle it and I wasn't and it was a year solid of me drinking every single day and I probably only had like three good <laughs> experiences from that whole year every uh-huh. time I drank it was just I don't want to be doing this like why am I doing this and I would black out and it was just horrible and I almost lost everything and so uh-huh. That was 2016. And so I finally dragged my ass back to meetings. I didn't want to, but I didn't know what else to do. Um, and so that was actually yesterday was my five-year anniversary. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. So That's I amazing. you know went in and picked up a white chip and I have been going to meetings ever since for the last five years. And it's just one of those things that I do. It's like brushing my teeth. Like you just don't question it. You just freaking do it. Yeah. <laughs> And so like recovery is definitely just a part of my life at this point. And I'm fine with it. You know, you see people in the rooms with 30, 40 years. And the thing that we all kind of know is like, doesn't matter how far down the road you get, the ditch is still the same distance from the road. So, you know, even after having four years without a drink, I was back in the ditch in like one drink. That was all it took. And I was back in the ditch and I couldn't get out for a full year. Um, So it's just part of my life. You know, it's just what I do for sure.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, that's like so inspiring to hear. And it's funny because I've had people on this podcast that are very open about, you know, their journey and even people that I've had on that I wouldn't have expected to have, you know, had a sobriety journey like you. I didn't realize that until I kind of um, researched into you a little bit more. But I think it's so important to have like a support system around you that, that works for you because not everything is going to resonate with everyone in the same way. Like I'm someone who I never went through a recovery program or did AA or anything like that. I just kind of came to that conclusion on my own. And, um, I didn't really think it was going to change my life. It's funny. I, I tell people this story, but I was at a new year's Eve concert and I was, you know, with my best friends and I had a champagne glass in my hand and I just, it was like the whole room kind of just like shut off. I looked down at my glass. I was like, this isn't fun anymore. Like I'm going to be hung over tomorrow morning. I can't keep doing this. And that moment changed everything. And it's like from there, you know, it it changed my life. And for the first six months, I didn't even tell anyone about it just because I was so afraid of like the stigma, especially for young people and in Mm -hmm. sobriety in general, there's just such a, a, a negative stigma around that word, which I think totally needs to go away. But um, in terms of health, I think it's, it's absolutely the most oh, empowering yeah. decision. And even now, you know, alcohol is alcohol is poison. Like it serves it no is. function in the Ethanol human body. Is poison. Yeah. It's like not
1: helpful. And I have clients that they're like, well, can I just drink, you know, a glass of wine at night? And I'm like, no, like, yeah. it, if you want to work with me and you know, you can work with somebody else. But if you're a client of mine and you actually want to heal your body and you want to be healthy, you cannot be drinking a glass of wine every night. No, maybe once a month, you know, have a glass Mm -hmm. of wine or so if, if that, but if you're really on this path to heal your body and allow it to heal, like alcohol is like the fourth macronutrient. It's not a carb protein or a fat. It's your body sees it as something different, basically shuts down all your metabolic processes in order to metabolize it. So it's probably, not the best idea for you to be ingesting that, you know?
0: Yeah. I learned that the hard way too because, you know, when I was in college, I was the kind of person who would, I would get like blackout every weekend and then I'd go to the gym the next day and I'm like, well, why am I not losing weight? Like I'm, I'm doing so much exercise and doing this and that. But then I look at like what I was drinking and then I would also be the kind of person who would eat something on top of it. Oh, yeah. So at 3am I'd have like a whole pizza or something. And I'm like, Why do I have terrible heartburn? Why am I like bloated? Why am I feeling so gross? And it's like, girl, look at what you're drinking. Like, yeah. Once I took alcohol out, I don't know, you know, if it changed for you, but I was like, I was able to run faster, lift heavier. I had a clearer mind, like more confidence. Confidence was probably the biggest like shift for me, was just realizing that I didn't need it to be um, seen as like fun or like for me, like it was, it was my biggest crutch was like social anxiety. Like I always felt like I needed to have alcohol around to be the life of the party or to, to be, um, seen as fun. And it took me a long time and I, it's, it's still a work in progress, like to be like, okay, I don't need to have alcohol to have fun. And like, there are days where I do, you know, like miss like my old self, like when I used to party and stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel so much better now. And I know that my health has improved. Like I used to be sick all the time, too, when I was drinking, like when I was oh, drinking yeah, heavily, constantly. I was sick all Air the time
1: and bronchitis. Yeah, I remember going to the doctor, and they were yeah. like, oh, you need steroids. And they give me antibiotics and steroids. And I would just cycle through like antibiotics and nothing would work because I was drinking at night with the medication. And they were yeah. like, Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's horrible for your immune system, horrible for your body. Like the first time I quit drinking, I lost a bunch of weight because Mm -hmm. I was the same way where I would just like eat, you know, tons of food and stay up late. And so I dropped a ton of weight. Everyone was like, holy crap. I like what in the world happened to you? Um, and I was like, I'm not dieting. I just quit drinking. (laughs) The second time I quit drinking I gained 30 pounds because I had been so emotionally reliant on the alcohol to deal with my feelings. That's what it was for me. It was like a self medication that I turned immediately to sugar, to food. And I gained like 30 pounds five years ago when I quit drinking. And that was really Mm -hmm. hard for me to deal with. And I would call my sponsor and be like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, because I'm a yoga teacher, I'm running around ground all day and lululemons and like tank tops and i've laid it like gained 30 pounds and like everyone's seeing me put on all this weight and she's like you're not gonna die um you're not gonna get pulled over for for eating like yeah <laughs> yeah you're not gonna, it's not gonna kill you um it's gonna be okay it'll even out and it took a while it took a while and it was like going carnivore three years ago was really helpful for that side of the sugar addiction thing. Cause I really struggled with the food, you know, getting sober the last time I just wanted to eat sugar constantly. And I was always chasing food, you know, or Mm -hmm. I'd be good. And then I'd binge on a bunch of chocolate, you know, it was just like a mess. And so doing carnivore was really helpful to just get rid of all that. Just like take it off the table. It's kind of like another form of abstinence for me. It was just like, if I just don't have it, like I don't really want it. And the longer and longer I get away from it, the less that I really want it, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Abstinence, sugar abstinence, I think is such a a great way to put it. And I feel like that takes so much discipline too. like, even with the whole idea of, of carnivore, you know, just thinking about it from my perspective is like, it sounds like a very disciplined way to live, but also mm-hmm. knowing that the reward is, is so great. Like for at least for what it's done for you. It's like, on yeah. one hand you could be like, Oh, I'm missing out on candy. I'm missing out on alcohol, oh, this, yeah. that, whatever. But then you're like, look at what you're gaining. You're gaining, feeling good in your body. You're gaining energy. You're gaining, not having digestive issues, like feeling vibrant right. enough to, to show up hundred percent for your clients or in your yoga classes. And that's priceless. Like, yeah, it takes discipline, but the, the payoff of that is is so strong. And it's like you said too. the longer you go without something, you know, the more the, the easier it gets, the more you're like, okay, this I'm good without it. Like, I'm able to live my life without this. Like I got it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's so much better, so much easier. And, you know, now just like circling back around now, I'm very stable with my food. Like I have that one day out of ketosis, and I can do homemade ice cream, I could do like, something with sugar in it. And it doesn't throw me off into a tailspin. And that has taken a lot of work and everyone can't necessarily do that. I have worked with a lot of people that if they were to try to do that, it would wreck their week, month, year, whatever. Like, so we just don't mess with it. For me, my drug is alcohol. And I just, I know I'm never going to one day at a time, I'm not going to go back to it. You know, I can't be like, I'm never going to ever but just for today, I'm not going to have any alcohol. And that's my plan is just to wake up every day and say today, I'm not going to drink and not do it. Um, so a lot of people are like that with food and they do need to be abstinent from the sugar. I have found that I don't necessarily have to do that. I'm just at a really good stable place with it. Um, and it's hard for me to explain that to people who are like true food addicts, you know, Mm. I'm not saying that I'm not a food addict but I'm just at a really good stable place with myself right now that I can do that
0: yeah and it's definitely not something that's easy for everyone like no I I even know for myself like I I do way worse off if I have like and I have clients too that I work with where I'm like I don't believe in the idea of just like a cheat day to just go you know crazy um for that reason like it throws you off it kicks the cravings back in like i don't get me wrong I'm not going to sit here and say like don't have like anything enjoyable like sit and eat like whatever um but you know for me I think for a lot of people at least that I've worked with too is like just allow yourself to have it every once in a while like don't deprive yourself or feel like you only can have it on one certain day like if you want a small piece of something like if you want a piece of a donut like have the donut get it out of your system rather than waiting until the weekend and then you wind up eating like six donuts instead it's like yeah you know
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like this weekend, I was like, all right, it's Saturday, I try to come out of ketosis, but I wasn't really, you know, craving anything. And I had made like just homemade french fries for my family with like russet potatoes and avocado oil and sea salt in the air fryer. And that's what I did to take myself out of ketosis. So it's not like I don't want people to think, oh, every Saturday is like donut and ice cream day. It's like, no, I'm going to flex the metabolic flexibility muscle a little bit here have some homemade french fries you know Mm -hmm. and there we go and the next day i wake up and i'm back in ketosis like ketones over a 1.0 no problem so it's just like i know my body is good at burning glucose and fat now and i think that that is one thing that is kind of missing in uh the keto and carnivore space is that a lot of people they do start to have higher blood sugars they do start to get into this kind of reverse insulin um, resistance type of thing because they never have any carbohydrates. And so I think it's, yeah, I'm I'm just really kind of diving into that a little bit more and looking at that with people, especially people who've been keto a really, really long time. And they're seeing themselves almost have pre-diabetic numbers, um, with their wow. A1C am like, well, you know, we may want to try to have a day a week that you're, breaking out of this a little bit and let your body experience glucose burning again for a little bit. And it's not going to make you a a bad person or whatever. It's just Mm -hmm. flexing a different muscle within your body.
0: I think it's important to have that differentiation, at least, you know, even if you aren't on a carnivore diet, just to have almost like people say, keep your body guessing, right? It's like, have a little yeah, bit of something absolutely. in there so that you you aren't so stuck in this way that like, if you are finding yourself in that state, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't beat yourself up for saying, oh my God, there's something wrong with me now that I need to have like carbs or whatever. Like, it's just, that's how your body is working and you're probably going to have better adherence to whatever the program is if you just let yourself have a little bit of that here and there to give yourself that flexibility.
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: Yeah. So s- switching gears, cause, um, there's like a lot of misconceptions that I've seen with carnivore that I kind of want to pick your brain about. And the two, the two biggest ones that I've seen, um, the first one is, you know, this like myth or this misconception that people that are carnivore are more at risk for, for cancer or for heart disease and things like that. Can you debunk that from your perspective?
1: Yeah. I mean, you got to test and not guess like you, you need need to know what your blood numbers are. Like I've tested my A1C, I test everything. And I'm really blessed that I have a podcast so I can connect with doctors all over the world who understand how your body works in this different metabolic state with this different fuel source. And so, um, yeah, I was a little bit worried. But then I actually started understanding how screwed up our nutritional guidelines actually are. The brainwashing that's been going on. I had a great podcast with uh, Belinda Fetke. I don't know if you know who she is, but if you're ever curious about where our nutritional guidelines came from, she's like the boss. Like she's amazing. I would search her in uh, podcasts, but I just had to do a lot of education for myself. Um, with this lifestyle, because my blood sugar numbers are amazing. I was, before I started doing this, I was pre-diabetic and didn't even know I was pre-diabetic. My A1C was like a 5.7. That's pre-diabetic, right? Now it's in the fours. Easy, no problem. Um, so that's one indication of like heart disease or diabetes, right? To have Mm -hmm. those higher blood sugar numbers. So you had to test and not guess, um, and just continue to educate yourself. So I've been able to talk with a lot of different doctors that, again, I know now that the reason why cholesterol is demonized in our country was for political reason. And, you know, I know about Ansel yeah. Keyes falsifying all the studies that were connecting wow. um, saturated fat to heart disease. They were false. And epidemiology and just how the information that's presented to us is typically not true you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's complete. It's like a mind shift, but it's like, once you kind of like have that red pill moment around food, then you can't ever like unsee it. You can't ever go back and, and just believe what you're told about nutrition, about food, about health. It's like this whole, like whole crap we've all been lied to for all these years. And yeah, meat doesn't isn't directly caught causing these things. It's the things that people are eating with the meat, right? All these yeah. studies that show heart disease and cancer are epidemiology. So ep- epidemiology is correlation and not causation. So if someone wants to bring me a study that is you know, totally causation and not epidemiology, I'll take a look at it, but I've yet to see one where meat is actually the thing it's usually the lifestyle and the other things that are along with the meat that people are eating
0: wow it's so true it's like once the veil has been lifted you know with so many things it's like you you literally can't unsee it so I'm gonna have to listen to that podcast by the way that you said you had with that doctor because I'm so fascinated about you know um all that kind of stuff and like It's like the more unearthing you do and the more exploring you do on your own, right? I'm such a firm believer of like, do your own research. Like the information is out there. Just find it. Like take Mm -hmm. the time to look around for yourself. Don't just, you know, say, oh, this is what the MyPlate guidelines say I'm supposed to eat. So let me go ahead and eat that. Like there's so much more exploring that can be done, you know, through seeking knowledge and also just like internally with your body. Like the MyPlate guidelines are so like one size fits all. Yeah. of whatever their distribution is, everything. And it's like, how can you expect that to work for however, what are there, like 8 billion people on the planet? Like, there's no right. way, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So the other um, myth that I kind of wanted you to debunk and something that I hear all the time with, you know, vegans or vegetarians arguing against meat eaters is um, like the environmental impact. And vegans mm-hmm. always kind of go to that as like, one of their main um, kind of oh, yeah. ways to demonize anyone that's carnivore is like, "You're this is terrible for the environment. Like, how could you? Um, so I'm curious to hear what your perspective has been with that and what you've learned along the way of, is it really that bad for the environment? Is it not?
1: No, this is another place where we need proper education and where there's a specific narrative out there. I mean, Bill Gates is buying up farmland left and right now. And he also is like pushing all this plant-based meat. There's definitely an agenda out there. And if you look at monocropping and the way that people are producing um, things like almonds or avocado or these like, you know, vegan foods the amount of death that happens with that type of farming far outnumbers what you would kill, basically buying a cow from a local farm and using that cow to feed your family for months and months on end. You know, just there's a documentary, I think called the biggest little farm. And they talk about this, that, you know, just a crop of avocados killed like you know, 60,000 animals, including gophers and rabbits wow. and deer, and all of these other animals are being killed to farm your avocado. So, just because you're not eating that animal with your avocado, right, it still had to die for you to have that vegan, you know, avocado toast or whatever that you're eating. You still, there is no food out there that is, that doesn't kill some sort of an animal i'm sorry it just yeah. it doesn't exist that's not how nature works if you want to know how nature works go to the instagram page called nature is metal
0: yeah and
1: you will see how nature works like this vegan idealistic like i can't kill anything i understand it's coming from a good place i get it but it's not based on actual science or actual data of what is actually going on it is just the biggest lie that we've all been told and I fell for it you know I fell Mm -hmm. for it I thought I was doing the right thing my health went to shit and uh yeah now that I educate myself I have a local farmer that delivers to my house um I utilize local food sources and in-season food sources that is better for the environment than drinking your almond milk, you know, that had Mm -hmm. to kill how many bees for you to have that. Like people just don't know. And then, you know, I'm very much against factory farming. I'm very much against that type of agriculture, but the numbers that are being put out there for these farms are being completely twisted and inflated and completely false as far as how our environment is being damaged. What's really damaging our environment is the travel and transportation You know, all the, the, the fossil fuels, the gas, all of that stuff is really what is causing environmental damage. So your avocados shipped from Mexico are a lot more harmful to the environment than the cow sitting in my freezer that I got from the farm locally. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the biggest thing with like the vegans that come after me and these people that are just so self-righteous about the way that they eat is they're fundamentally missing how their food is actually being produced and like how this whole thing works it's 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 crazy
0: yeah it is crazy it's eye-opening and i think it's it's such an important reminder of trying to shop local whenever you can especially yeah. like you said for meat um but even thinking about it further it's like Oh, you'd say, oh, I'm I'm being so good for the environment by being vegan. But look at how much goes into, like you said, Bill Gates is making all these, you know, plant based meats. Now look at the environmental the toll
1: that's going into making shipping. that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So much. All the
1: different ingredients and the toxic seed oils that they're putting yeah. making in laboratories and just like, yeah, if we want to talk about environmental impact, then you need to look at that like vegan plant-based burger that you're eating and tell me all the different environmental sources of damage that were done to produce that and get that to your house,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, because it's so much more than just like thinking about the plant being picked. Like you said, there's the transportation, there's the whole logistics of how exactly it's getting to you. Yeah. Yeah. And when you eliminate that, when you shop local, like you said, you know, finding a farmer in your town or something or even in a close area to you, you're reducing that carbon footprint tremendously. Like you said, it's not coming from god knows what kind of farm however many state lines over even countries over you know it's being shipped to you from it's like it's having a sense of consciousness i think and awareness of where the food is really coming from and i think that's something that i have seen at least talking to you is like very um unique and appealing to the carnivore diet is just having that um that real strong sense of like okay i know exactly where my food is coming from like i knew what it took to get here and being able to kind of like trace those lines, that's huge.
1: Yeah, and and regenerative agriculture is where we all need to be going. I mean, there's white oak pastures here in Georgia, there's poly East Carolina, there's some farms out there that are carbon negative, you know, and that's where we're blaming the carbon footprint on farming. And actually these farms, regenerative agriculture is where we all need to be going, regardless if you're carnivore or omnivore or whatever, paleo. That's how we need to start farming in order to regenerate our soil. We Our soil is so incredibly nutrient depleted and so incredibly depleted, period. Mm. The orange that you eat today, you would have to eat six of those to get the same nutrients that your grandmother had, right? Wow. Because our soil is so incredibly depleted because our farming practices, all this monocropping... Not only is it horrible for the environment, it also is very nutrient poor. So you're not getting the nutrients that you're being promised.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy. It's like, it's almost like a whole other layer to, um, you know, the whole conscious eating thing is just like thinking yeah. about the soil itself. And that's so crazy to even think about, you know, currently the system that we have now, like how devastating it is to our environment, even though it has nothing to do with animals, like oranges right. really are not, it's not like you're, it's not like cows or pigs or, you know, factory farming in that sense of like what we think of when we, you know, demonize, um, the carnivore diet. But it's like, it is really eye opening to think that, you know, even from the farming standpoint, like what, what can people do? Like you said, regenerative, um, yeah. agriculture, things like that to, to, um, almost like backpedal. It's almost like a lot of this is, is, you know, we've made so many advancements as a society, like technologically and, you know, with everything else, but it's almost like, okay, maybe we need to take a step back now. You know, you even think about how many years ago, like there was way less ADHD, you know, diseases, um, things like that. And it's like even gluten sensitivity. I mean, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when did you hear people saying they were, you know, celiac or gluten free? Like nobody.
1: Yeah. I mean, just our whole way of living is wrong. I mean, that's why I'm out here sitting outside because I don't want to be inside under artificial light, exposing myself to blue light. Like I want to be outside. I've got my bare feet on the ground. I'm really just trying to embrace my whole lifestyle as getting back to what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be inside watching Netflix all day. We're not supposed to be scrolling on devices all day. You know, we, if we want our health, to be good and we want to live long, we have to stop all the artificial stuff that we're doing. You know, the food is is the very bottom of it. There's so much more that people are missing um, if they're only focusing on food. But we just have to look at our lifestyle as a whole. And we are not meant to live the type of lives, you know, ancestrally that we're living. It's it's very bad for our health.
0: Yeah. We're overstimulated in so many ways. As I sit here. With blue light, with artificial light. No, it's fine.
1: I usually, when I'm recording my show, I'm doing the same. I have the window open behind me now after talking with Dr. Jack Cruz. Like, he was like, at least open the window when you're podcasting. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I do. it's like what I do for a living. So I've really just been making a conscious effort to, if I can be outside any time, I'm going to be outside, you know?
0: Yeah. And grounding too, like stick mm-hmm. your feet in the grass like whenever i take yep. my dog out like even if i even if it's only like 10 minutes i'll take my yeah. socks off like put your bare feet in the ground people think it's woo woo whatever but there's so much power to just be like rooted with the earth and and connect it again and even when i lay on the beach sometimes like if i i've, oh, yeah, I've noticed best. i will i'll feel my whole body like pulsating sometimes and there's like well, there's no machines are- going by you know
1: Our bodies are electric. There's a great book called um, The Body Electric by Bob Becker that I think everyone should read to actually understand how our bodies work. We get an electron charge where our bodies are composed of protons, neutrons, and electrons. We get an electron charge anytime our feet are connected to the earth. So it actually energizes our body and it hydrates the water inside of our body. Anytime we're outside, anytime our feet are on the grass, anytime you're laying on the beach. This is a hydrating thing. Anytime we're under artificial lights, you know, we're on the phone, we're watching Netflix, any of that stuff that's dehydrating the water in our bodies. We're actually losing that electric charge from these invisible electromagnetic fields. And so that's why you feel energized after being outside barefoot or after being outside in the sun or after exercising, like actually moving your body or going to like all these things are hydrating and nourishing for the body like food is a form of light Food, food is a form of energy but all these other things are also very 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 important for the mitochondrial health of your entire body
0: yeah and it's real too and I feel like it's it's easy for people to think that it's just like this silly little thing that spiritual people do or whatever the case may be but it's like You don't have to understand how lights work, how electricity works. Like, I don't know that it works, but I know that there is energy flowing through this microphone that's that's going to the computer. There's there's energy all around us. So it's like, right, everything's energy. So why why wouldn't that be a thing? You know, why wouldn't we want to to do something that could improve our, our health in that way?
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering now if you have any suggestions, maybe to anyone that's listening, that's thinking, "Mm, I I think I want to try carnivore. What would you suggest is like a good starting place for someone?
1: Um, I would just go slow unless you have like a major health condition. I wouldn't necessarily like jump right into it. Um, I would go slow. I would start trying to eat more animal foods and then. You know, when you're doing that, also make sure you're replenishing your electrolytes, your minerals, all of those things as well. Um, And just, you know, educate yourself, learn, go and follow some of the carnivore accounts and just learn as much about it as you can and you know, find what works best for you. If you're having a hard time, hire a coach if it's something that you're really committed to doing. Um, But yeah, just go slow and don't feel like you have to do it all in one day and fix it all in one day it can be a gradual process and you don't have to stay on it long-term to get the benefits. I think people could benefit greatly from just doing like 30 days, you know, and then slowly adding things back in to see how the body responds.
0: Yeah. Kind of like a mini reset almost just to, to see where you land.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think that's great advice too. And and be patient with yourself. And also like, it's not like you have to make a contract signing. I'm going to do carnivore for six months. And if I don't like, I'm going to jail. Like, If you don't like it or if it doesn't resonate, then try to to bring some more things in. I think sometimes when we when people try to start like a new diet or a new lifestyle, there's like this insane mental pressure that they have to be on 100 percent of it, you know, for for like a super long duration. But it's like just try it out. You know, you don't have to t- fully commit to anything yeah. or like you don't have to be like how you did, you know, years of this. Like if you want to just do 30 days, that's fine. Like you're your own person, you know, explore what works for you and, and what feels right for you and see where it lands. And something else that I'll offer up to, to anyone listening is um to just keep like a food diary. I know it sounds kind of yeah. silly, but I tell all my clients, like, write down everything you've eaten and then also tell me how you felt afterwards. Like, for the few hours afterwards, you are going to gain so much understanding of yourself and how you feel with the certain foods that you're eating when you start to do that. And then when you do that, then you can look back and say, hmm, for the past two weeks when I ate oats, I noticed that I was super bloated. Or when I had um, pasta, like, I felt really irritable or, like, cranky or hangry. Like, you'll start to kind of connect the dots of what is working for you. And what is it? And then you'll start to notice, OK, I had um, I had steak for lunch and like I felt really energized the whole afternoon. Like little things like that are so powerful, um, I think, for just being able to stick to something, too, and just seeing like what works for you as an individual, because we're all different.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to give you a chance now. I'm going to open the floor to you to kind of like shamelessly plug yourself um, of where people can find you. This has been awesome, by the way. I've learned so much about. Um, carnivore and and so much in general too about the environment and stuff. So this has been super informative. So um, go ahead and and plug away where people can listen to your podcast, where they can follow you.
1: Yeah, uh, my podcast is the Carnivore Yogi Podcast, and I have a new episode every week. Um, I have a YouTube channel. You just search uh, Carnivore Yogi on YouTube. Um, I've got an Instagram page. That's Usually, the best way if you want to like connect with me, ask me a question, just to message me over there. It's at carnivore.yogi over on Instagram. And yeah, I've got a private membership group and I do offer a little bit of uh, coaching on a very limited basis. I'm usually pretty booked up with that, but I do a little bit of coaching. And yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me or follow me if you want to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, I'm going to leave all of her links in the description so you can check her out. Definitely adding that podcast episode to my uh, list that you were talking about earlier. But um, Sarah, thank you so much. This was so informative and it was so refreshing to to hear your perspective. And I love just hearing, you know, what works for people because everyone's different. So it's awesome to hear um, your journey and how you've kind of figured out something that really has worked for you. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.